I'm Rebecca Lavoy, and this is You Can't Make This Up. You Can't Make This Up is the podcast where we uncover the true stories behind your favorite Netflix documentaries and films. On today's episode, we take a closer look at the Netflix documentary series, Quarterback. We're putting our whole life into this, and we're sacrificing a lot to go out there. When you see your name on a stadium, that just means all the hard work that you put in, all the blood, sweat, and tears, as people say, was worth it. Today, we're talking to directors Tim Rumpf, Shannon Furman, and Matthew Dissinger. They are the faces of football. Quarterbacks are the marquee players of the NFL, and the success of their whole team rests on their shoulder pads. But what's happening in the huddle, game after game? And how do they balance their careers on Sunday with their lives at home on Monday? The eight-part series Quarterback follows Patrick Mahomes, Marcus Mariota, and Kirk Cousins from the practice field to the gridiron and back home with their families. What makes a quarterback great? And what does it take to obtain that ultimate goal, a Super Bowl ring? Embrace this moment. Everything we work for is for this moment. Embrace that shit. Everything you got for the guy standing beside you. And I'm joined now by directors Tim Rumpf, Shannon Furman, and Matt Dissinger. Welcome to You Can't Make This Up. Thank you. Great to be here. Thanks. So each of you were responsible for documenting the season of one elite quarterback, Patrick Mahomes, Marcus Mariota, and Kirk Cousins. What did you learn about these guys that you didn't know going into the project? Matt, I'm going to start with you. Yeah, I knew that Patrick was probably the face of the league, at least in my opinion. I knew that he was just incredibly gifted physically. I mean, he's the guy in the NFL that makes all the incredible highlight plays. What I don't think I realized going into it was just how high his football IQ was. I mean, you can watch SportsCenter and see him make crazy throws, but to hear him during a game talking to the coaching staff, making adjustments was not something I anticipated. So that's something I'm really excited to demonstrate and document um, in the series, and I'm excited for fans to see. Shannon, what about Marcus Mariota did you learn? I think just how respected he is by his teammates and coaches and just individuals around the league. We haven't seen a whole ton of Marcus since he's been in the league. He's a very private guy. So getting to work with him this year, I think everyone's going to see a side of him that really no one's ever seen before because he's never opened up like this. But just seeing the respect that everybody that we encountered and when people heard I worked with him, the respect they had for him was something that was really refreshing. Hmm. And what about you? Uh, Yeah, with Kirk, um, it was kind of interesting because obviously I'd followed his career just being a football fan and kind of what the media had said about him or outside perspective of him. And I really got to appreciate just the amount of work that he puts in, essentially, just seeing him getting body work done twice a week um, for hours upon a time, the amount of film study that he does, you know, spending the hour drive back from the facility practicing his play calls rather than sitting there and listening to music. It's kind of like every second of every day he had it accounted for to make himself a better quarterback. And that was fascinating. I think the fans will love to see that as well. 
Shannon, I'm curious what you think about Marcus Mariota, because I think that the decision, you know, to follow a quarterback like Kirk Cousins and Patrick Mahomes is, a, you know, it's a little bit more obvious about why they they would maybe be pursued in a documentary like this. Can you talk about the choice to have uh, Mariota in this documentary? Like, what do we see in him that we don't see in other players at this point in his career? Um, sort of dramatically, what does he bring to a story like this? He just adds another storyline. Like, he is a completely, all three guys have a completely different storyline. So I think each quarterback brings something completely different to the table for this show. So Marcus is the guy who's trying, he's going for his second chance and maybe his, maybe his last chance. Not in his mind, it's not his last chance. You look across the league, a lot of guys in my situation don't really get a second chance. I've been all on the bottom, understand the whole game. Well, I didn't play well enough. Mix. So to be able to build myself back up has been very important. It's a huge year for him. Um, when he was looking for a team in free agency, that was what he wanted. He wanted to start somewhere. He wanted that chance again. So he's coming in with a completely different story than Kirk and Patrick. And um, again, it's something like when he was the second overall pick and Heisman Trophy winner, his career wasn't very documented during those years. So I think he saw this as a chance to open up and show people who he is on and off the field. And that, to me, that's what he brings to the show. And so if you had three quarterbacks who were all kind of at the same exact place doing the same exact thing, that probably wouldn't be as exciting. But all three of these guys have a completely different story to tell through this show. Yeah. And Matt, I think Mahomes, it's it's really, of course, you picked a spectacular season to follow Patrick Mahomes, obviously. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, it was my my decision to pick this one. Yes, yes. Good on you for looking into the future and figuring <laughs> that out. Um, obviously, you know, a lot of people say he's the greatest of all time. We actually hear the ESPN commentator saying that at the beginning, you know, we hear that multiple times. Um, he's only 27 year, years old, I think, during this season, right? Yes, he actually has his birthday was during the season. OK, so can you talk about some of the aspects of his play, about his character that make people say this about him so early in his career, besides the Super Bowl wins? You know, I think he has sort of this poise of someone that has a lot of confidence in himself. And that maybe that comes from being the son of a professional athlete, like being in that environment. I don't think there's any stage that's too big for him. Like I have worked for NFL films for 20 years and been through a lot of quarterback wires. I don't think he ever thinks he's out of a game, no matter how bad it gets. Stephon's one, struggles into the end zone. Temperature is heating up. Um, so I think a lot of that goes into why what makes him so great. Um, I mean, obviously, he's very talented. He puts a lot of work in, but he just has a sort of an unshakable confidence that he is going to win, that he's going to leave it. I mean, they think they had some kind of crazy record of being down by 10 points this year, and they kept coming back and winning those games. And I think that's because of what is inside of him. He just, I think he genuinely believes that there is no deficit that's too big for him. So what's incredible to me about Mahomes also is his on-field interactions. Um, you know, I we obviously don't get the access to quarterback mics the way that we do in your documentary often. And I do want to ask you about that. But he has this like hype man 
kind of attitude, this good guy, this good sportsman take all the time, even after taking hard hits, he'll say like, thanks, you know, (laughs) he says he wants to be liked all the time. Is this common? No, it's it's uncommon. I mean, uh, we did have a quarterback named Andrew Luck once upon a time that had a very similar thing that he did where he would compliment defenders. Now, Patrick explains that these are guys that are being paid to take his head off. So if he can get even a tiny bit of psychological advantage to his side, make them like him just a little bit, maybe they'll pull up just at the end of their rush and not level him. Um, so he kind of describes it as as a way to get a psychological advantage in a game. I do think it's part of him as a competitor. I think he, he genuinely uh, admires and appreciates the guys that he's playing against. He knows how great they are, and he can appreciate greatness in the moment. Um, I think it'd probably be different if he was, you know, losing by 30 points or something. He might not be throwing out compliments, but um, yeah. I do think it's part of how he is as a competitor. And maybe there's a little bit of that convincing them not to hit him so hard next time. So, Tim, can you talk to me about how comfortable your athlete, Kirk Cousins, was uh, with the camera following him around the house, following him to Barnes & Noble as he shopped at the sale table, which Hello. Hello, Kirk. What are you doing? And, you know, with the mic, obviously right there on the field as he's taking hits. I mean, his hits are not thank you hits. They're oof. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Fortunately, with Kirk, he was pretty much an open book from day one. When I first came in to meet him, our first shoot with him was just going to be an interview. But he was like, hey, what else do you want to film? We're we're here for, you know, for you to document everything, every aspect of my life. So... Within a couple hours of meeting him, we were upstairs in his kid's bedroom as he's reading them books and putting them to bed and singing them songs to sleep. Let's do the book of uh, why in Sports Illustrated. Yeah. Let's do that. That was a good one. Big book of why. Why does the NFL have so many rules against hitting quarterbacks? First, there's the fact that when a quarterback is throwing a pass, he's in no position to protect himself. An injury to the quarterback can sink a team's entire season. Did you know the season-ending knee injury that Tom Brady suffered in the first game of the 2008 season led to a ban on hitting quarterbacks below the knee? And Dad is forever grateful. You know, and I walked away from that shoot with our DP and being like, hey, it doesn't get more intimate than that. I mean, that's a great day one to kind of set the stage for your guy. And then from there, it kind of just expanded. He, you know, I think... A week later, he mentioned, hey, I meet with a team psychologist every Wednesday. Would you guys be interested in capturing that? You know, it's part of my process. Of course, I was like, absolutely. I mean, that's something that we've never captured before at NFL Films. And it was really fascinating to see his thought process, how he was able to talk through a game, how that relates to him personally, and then seeing it pay off the next Sunday was was something that was absolutely fascinating. You know, one of the things that we do see with Marcus and his wife, and it really struck me particularly, um, is that physical punishment of the game and the training that helps the quarterbacks prepare. And Mariota's wife, Kiyomi, um, actually compares, you know, the football weekends to getting into a car accident every weekend. Um, Do you think today's quarterbacks are, you know, giving more consideration to their health as they plan their careers or are training in a different way than they used to? I mean, I think everyone's probably different. I think it's everyone probably feels a different way about that statement, whether all three guys, their wives would say the same thing. I'm not entirely sure I can just speak for them because I was with them all season. And and Marcus got beat up this year at times. Um, 
I, they all go through that. Uh, I think everyone has a little bit of a different routine with their bodies. I think they're learning constantly. They look to guys like Tom Brady and the longevity of his career and what he's done. So I would say it's probably a little bit different for every quarterback in the league. I don't know what Matt and Tim think. Yeah, yeah, I can speak with Kirk, and it's funny that you bring that up because he brought that up with me, that that's something that he kind of learned as he became a veteran. His first season and second season in the league, he really didn't do much away from the facility. And then he saw a veteran player, wide receiver named Santana Moss, who had a body work. Uh, People come to his house and basically, you know, massage him, prepare him and all that stuff. And it's funny because... Kirk's chiropractors use that exact same analogy. On Fridays, we prepare Kirk for the car wreck. And then on Mondays, we put the pieces back together after the car Mm. crash. Um, So I think, again, that's just kind of something that he learned that he had to do if he's going to continue to play now being 34. And if he wants to play into his 40s, as Tom Brady did. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about Mahomes in that regard? Because we do see him working with a trainer that he's been working with pretty much since he was a kid, right? Yeah, I believe he said fourth grade is when he started working with uh, Bobby Stroop, who's his trainer. And then and that's exactly what you're talking about is exactly why. And it's interesting to me that he started this the second he got into the league. I mean, he's, a, you know, in his early 20s working on body maintenance. And he cites Tom Brady as the reason why. Um, and he believes that it contributes to him not having as many injuries as he would have if he didn't do it. Um, a lot of what they do is, is making the body more pliable. Um, I, I think he would probably attribute the fact that he was able to play through a high ankle sprain in the playoffs to his work off the field on this body maintenance. It's just become such a huge part of the current sports landscape, especially the NFL. I mean, if you're going to survive and play in every one of the 17 games, I think you're going to have to dedicate some of your off time to body maintenance and, and your physical health. Hmm. Mahomes' body also comes up uh, when talking to his trainer and how physically he's actually built a little bit differently than um, other people who play in his position. Can you talk a little bit about just how his physicality differs from other people who play quarterback in the NFL? Yeah, Bobby had some really interesting tidbits. Essentially, the core, his spine, the strength that he has in his spine and how that allows him to survey the field as a quarterback, to see things and make throws that a lot of guys can't make. I think he's just a really uniquely gifted physical athlete. Um, He has a big background in baseball. His father was a professional baseball player. And certain things about that factor into his game. The one thing his trainer told me was that he is actually faster running in a curve than he is running in a straight line. So when you're getting out of the pocket, you know, you're running in a curve. And I think you'll kind of see that if you watch games, if you watch Chiefs games, you see him elude pressure. I mean, he's not exactly Lamar Jackson bursting for whatever 60 yard touchdown runs, but he's really elusive. And all of the crazy throws he makes, I think, are a tribute to him just balancing his body, being able to make throws what, what I've heard called off platform You've seen the guy a few times even make throws with his left hand, and he's a right-handed guy. So um, I think he's sort of just a physical freak, but certainly part of what he does um, training-wise, both with Bobby and with the Chiefs, I think prepare him to make plays like that.
So, Shannon, we see one of the off-field, unofficial roles of the quarterback in Mariota's story as he and his wife try and find ways to become part of the Atlanta community. Can you talk about why this is important to some athletes and quarterbacks in particular? Um, yeah, I mean, the being part of the community is super important to Marcus. I think it a lot of it goes back to how he grew up, um, to his Hawaiian and Samoan roots, he still does a ton there as far as all of that stuff goes. So he had some help from Matt Ryan, former Falcons quarterback. Um, he kind of connected him to a lot of the things that he used to do. So right away, he was able to get involved in the community and just kind of jump right in. I mean, Marcus, he's, Marcus's wife runs his foundation. It's a big part of what he does. He doesn't even have social media. The only social media he has is his foundation's page. So, I mean, it's kind of speaks to like who he is as a person, just how he was brought up by his parents and what he's all about. So, Tim, I don't think we can talk about Kirk Cousins without talking about how grounded he is in his faith, right? They live, he and his wife, fairly modestly. And I do wonder how much that sort of very kind of relatable life that they seem to live is grounded in his faith, because it does seem to infuse pretty much every aspect of his day, of his evening, and of just sort of the way that he is as a human being. Sure, absolutely. I mean, I think that's a big part of his character and who he is as a person. Um, I know his dad is a pastor, and so that's how he was raised. Um, and, you know, giving back to the community and all that is a big part of it. One of the things that kind of jumped out at me, too, as well, arriving at his house, and obviously this is a person that's made a lot of money over his career, um, but I think he just has other things in his life that are important. I don't think he's a very flashy individual. Um, so it really kind of fit him at the end of the day once I got to know him. It, you know, if he lived in a massive mansion, that might almost feel a little out of place for Kirk Cousins as, as we get to see through these uh, eight episodes. How surprised were you when you saw the secret room in his house in which he keeps all of his football memorabilia, including, by the way, non-football memorabilia, his acapella uh, group right. memorabilia, but he doesn't he doesn't display it in his house at all. <laughs> I mean, exactly. That goes right back to that point where a typical athlete of his stature, what you'd expect for them to have this huge basement with their jerseys all over the place and kind of a shrine to themselves. But he specifically wanted it to be tucked away because he thought it was too self-serving and didn't want other people to kind of have to see it in, in their face while they're hanging out. But he still wanted a little place where he could go in and have a little memory room, as he called it. What I thought was really funny about it was that the way he described it was, he asked me if I ever saw the movie Richie Rich. It's like, yeah, I mean, of course, when I was a kid. He was like, basically, you know, at the end of that movie, they're trying to find the vault where they have all the valuables and it ends up just being these family mementos that mean, you know, all the world to them, but are have no value to anybody else. And that's exactly what he had in his memory rooms. I mean, aside from his jerseys and stuff like that. So he has a signed photo with William Shatner, who he calls the actual Captain Kirk. You know, like you mentioned, he had an acapella t-shirt um, and little things like that. I think he had notes from his father that had, he had written him when he was 10 years old. So it was really cool to see that side of him and how all these little moments throughout not only his football career, but his life, he saves to kind of remember the path that he's taken to get where he is now. Hmm. I think it's fair to say that all three of the quarterbacks in this series are 
really family guys. I mean, I'm not being uh, cute about it. I mean, they really all seem to be. And I want to talk a little bit about the partnerships and the marriages that we see, because all three wives are incredibly supportive, really seem to be very much all in. And I think you kind of have to be if your husband is a quarterback in the NFL. But we do see that both Mahomes and Mariota are married to athletes. And I'm not sure if that's true for cousins. His wife isn't an athlete, is she? No, she's not. Okay, so I'm, I'm wondering, <laughs> yeah, and I'm wondering if that makes for a different kind of partnership if your husband is a quarterback and you, as his wife, kind of, you know, have been an athlete, also understand those stakes on the field. You know, we you know that Brittany used to be a professional soccer player, for instance, and we see Mariota's wife, you know, helping him study for plays, and it just seems like something that just feels like very much the part of the rhythm of the relationship in a way that, you know, kind of seems very natural. Does that make sense? For sure. I mean, I, I definitely think it comes into play with Patrick and Brittany. I mean, I think they sort of have that built into how they interact with one another. You know, I think there's, you know, they call each other, you know, pet names that you hear on a sports field. Like the, she calls him bro and he calls her bro. Uh, but I think it absolutely helps that she understands like this is what it takes to be an athlete. Like she understands the demands I mean, she was a professional athlete. She played professionally in uh, Europe uh, for soccer. So I certainly think that helps their relationship. She knows what it takes for him to succeed. And I think it sort of gives them a common ground to, to, to talk about. One of the things that was unfortunately not in the documentary that he told me he does is after games, he comes home and makes Brittany watch the telecast of the Chiefs game he just played with her until the very end before they can go to bed. The game that she was just at, usually? Yeah, and the way he just played. <laughs> he literally gets home, and that's the first thing he wants to do is watch the game with her. Hmm. Um, so anyway, I think it's really, I think it's cool. I think it helps. I'm sure it helps the strength of their marriage that they have that common ground. And just like she comes to his games, he, you know, he attended uh, Casey current game with her early in the season. Well, a follow-up question to that, because, you know, we do actually see Mahomes' wife on the sidelines of the field at the beginning of every game, and he runs over, he kisses her, he tells her he loves her. A lot of players say that kind of thing is a distraction. Is this just part of his looseness, that he doesn't see these kinds of, like, personal life, inter, you know, interacting with the football life as being a distraction? Definitely. For him, it's a distraction if she's not there. I can tell hmm. you that at the away game in San Francisco, we had planned on filming her get to the from the airport to the game and she was late and he didn't see her. Um, and he pointed that out afterwards when he saw her outside the locker room. He says, what happened? You weren't there in pregame. I think for him, his family is such a stabilizing presence for, you know, he's a superstar athlete. He's in a million commercials. He's the face of the league. But I'll tell you, more than anyone I know, he loves to just come home, veg out on the couch and hang out with his wife and watch TV with his kids. Uh, as hard as that might be to believe from everything people see about him. And shoot apples at uh, tanks at the orchard. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty sweet. I wish I could have shot some apples. <laughs> I was jealous of that. <laughs> yeah, that looked fun. Shannon, Mariota says the narrative around his leaving the Falcons was, quote, unfortunate. It's interesting the timing of his decision to step away from the team with a month to go. A month to go in the season? Did Marcus Mariota quit on the foul? I mean, I, I can't say I've ever heard of this in the NFL. It seems like that Mariota quit on this team. What would he say actually happened there? 
I think Marcus would say it's unfortunate the way things ended in Atlanta because after he left the team to go have his knee fixed, I think he fully expected to be back with them the next season. He played with Arthur Smith in Tennessee and so was familiar with that relationship. Plus, he liked his teammates there. Um, and he was really enjoying getting a chance at a second shot. So uh, when he left the team that day, I'm pretty sure like he 100% thought he was getting his knee fixed and was going to be back in time for minicamp in May. So, Tim, the series shows aspects of the quarterback job that we hear about all the time but don't necessarily see. And I think one of the most maybe boring aspects to them, but not to me, is the play memorization oh, uh, yes, that yes. we see. Do you think the average fan would be surprised by the sheer amount of study and the very like SAT-like techniques that the quarterbacks <laughs> used to do it? I mean, we saw uh, Cousins, what, using his iPhone as uh, like a little memory yeah. like game kind of situation? Yeah, that was really fascinating for me. So I assume the, the casual fan would find it as well. Um, I mean, he was in a tough situation coming into this year, and that's kind of what helped his story, I think, make, be so unique, was that he had a brand new head coach this season. It Honestly, he's been in Minnesota for five years, and this is the fifth time that he's had a new offensive coordinator. So this isn't something new to him. This is something that he's kind of drilled down and perfected at this point, that, hey, I'm going to have to learn a new offense, new terminology every single season. And a lot of people coming in this year were saying, hey, his new head coach, Kevin O'Connell, was actually his quarterback's coach in Washington. So this is going to be an easy transition for him. He knows, already knows everything. But what he told us was, well, yeah, it's the same coach, but it's a completely different terminology. Like just how you name certain plays from head coach to head coach is completely different, even if you've been together previously, because these guys are constantly changing everything, not only year to year, but week to week to stay ahead of the defenses. So I mean, as much as this game is physically demanding, I think it's even more mentally demanding. And going to that point with Kirk, learning an entire new offense, it, you know, it's not just the hours that he spends in the film room or at home learning it. He's got to figure out how to get extra reps in. So I found it very fascinating that he said his backup quarterback, Nick Mullins, is actually the one that came up with the idea that he had previously done it. He records the play calls himself into an iPhone so then he can listen to it on his ride home. And it's as if that he hearing the head coach in his helmet, him hearing himself say the play call on the iPhone, then he repeats it out loud as if he would be telling the team in a huddle. And then from doing that, he's able to visualize it. Like when he says it out loud, he can see the X receiver doing the post. He can see the wide receiver coming across the middle and that's how he's able to put it together through Sunday. And it's something I could not do myself in a million years. So it was very impressive to witness. So I do want to ask about that relationship because I know it's very integral to the quarterback role. I mean, Kirk Cousins starts seeing a lot of success when he starts playing for Kevin O'Connell. And their relationship does seem to be in some ways kind of like symbiotic. O'Connell seems to understand how to get the best out of him. How important is that relationship? And how do these two relationships with your two players in particular, Tim and Matt, do you do you, do you like compare notes on like how the coach quarterback relationship differs <laughs> on these two teams? Yeah, I mean, because every team has their own different dynamics. So I think we were all in completely different situations for sure. But with the Vikings, I think you had Kirk who was eager to prove himself to this coach that he knew, but he necessarily wasn't his guy yet. You know, when a new head coach comes in with the team, they want to put their own stamp on the team. So yes, he knew Kirk, and I'm sure he gave the signal of approval on Kirk when he became the head coach. But really, Kirk knew he had to prove himself this year 
to make sure he'd be back the next year or five years from now. So that was a really interesting dynamic. But what I really liked to see was through practice wires and game wires, they almost got closer as the season went on, which was a really interesting dynamic. And Kirk himself said, hey, I really didn't get comfortable in this offense until like week 10 or something <laughs> like that. And that was pretty impressive considering they won eight of their first nine games. So I can only imagine what the two of them could do in the future. Yeah. What about Mahomes and his coach? Uh, I mean, he's in a very unique situation in which, you know, he, his head coach, he's at the same head coach for his entire career. And he's arguably one of the greatest offensive minds in NFL history. So I'm sure if Patrick was here right now, he would say a lot of his six, he owes a lot of his, his success to Andy Reid. And throughout the game, you know, Coach Reed would approach him. He'd show him something on a play sheet. Patrick would give his feedback. There was sort of an open dialogue between the two of them. And in contrast to, to what Tim experienced in Minnesota, I mean, they have such a rapport that they're almost completing each other's sentences when it comes to offensive terminology and ideas. That is uh, unique and helps his success. But also, I mean, Patrick's such an active participant in the offensive game plan. Uh, and I think that is is a unique thing in the show where they can come up, the players come up with their own plays at times and they give them sort of, you know, unique and interesting, silly names. They're able to contribute to the offense by coming up with these creative plays. And that's the type of coach that Andy Reid is. He wants to encourage creativity and ownership in the offense. And I think, I think you see a lot of that in, in our show. Hmm. Another thing that we see in your show are some incredible games. There were some amazing games in the 2022 season, and the Vikings had a couple of them, the game against the Buffalo Bills, and of course, the game that was the greatest comeback of all time game was that against the Colts, right? Um, So my question is, you know, Kirk Cousins doesn't have a Super Bowl, right? Can a great quarterback have a great legacy, without that Super Bowl trophy. What do you guys think? I I certainly think so. I mean, you have Jim Kelly and Dan Marino, who are some of the best quarterbacks ever, and they never won one. I know if you ask Kirk at the end of the day, he would say it would be a big letdown if he never was able to at least play for one. Started a lot of games in this league, home for a lot of yards, a lot of touchdowns. But I want a lot more than just one playoff victory. The Minnesota Vikings have beaten the New Orleans Saints. And so for me... You know, to make the the final years of my football career, the best years of my football career, it's going to come down to winning. Uh, like you said, he had some amazing moments this year that obviously have never happened. I mean, that Bills game was definitely the game of the entire year, the way they were able to come back. And he takes an absolute beating in that game. So I was blown away. I mean, the first, first we're watching that game just on TV and watching how he gets beat up and the comeback and all that. But then you get a whole new appreciation for it when you go back and watch the footage that we were able to capture and actually experience it through his eyes and you feel like you're taking the hits along with him. Um, So it really kind of made that game on a whole nother level, uh, really from being the best game of the year to something that's absolutely special. And then the Colts game, uh, again, another one that was fantastic, like talking to his wife, Julie, about her experience at that game she said, yeah, at halftime, she thought about maybe just leaving and taking the kids home to make sure they can get a good nap. She's like, thank <laughs> goodness I didn't, because I don't know how I could have ever live with myself. And, you know, I think when you're making a series like this, yes, you want amazing subjects and you set yourself up to capture the best footage possible. But sometimes you kind of just have to get lucky. And certainly that's what that was. Um, that was a game 
that if they won, they were going to be clinching a playoff spot. So we certainly had the coverage for it and we put our, the necessary resources towards it. But we, obviously, we could have never guessed that we would get the greatest comeback ever in the history of the NFL. So going back to the point of Mahomes winning the Super Bowl, you know, if we were going to script it, you know, these are some nice things to have in, along the way. Yeah. I think one of my favorite scenes, though, in the series is after one of the games, they drive home, Kirk and Julie, and they're like, oh, it's garbage night. We're going to take out the trash. <laughs> yeah. uh, again, it's like, you know, as a kid, I remember looking at People <laughs> magazine or one of these magazines, and it's like they had these articles like, hey, they're just like us. That's essentially what this series does. It was like, yeah, I just lost a playoff game, and I got to go home, and I'm taking out the trash, or I'm going to make sure my five-year-old eats his chicken nuggets. So it's, That's it's right. really awesome. That's right. That. I think a lot of quarterbacks have people for that, but not Kirk Cousins. <laughs> <laughs> True. So after Mahomes wins the Super Bowl, we see Jimmy Johnson walk up to him and say, you're the most talented I've ever seen. Now, I've looked it up, and this isn't the first time Johnson has said this about Mahomes. <laughs> he said this in a 2021 interview, for instance, but Johnson has been around for a really long time. Um, and, you know, he, he was even younger, Mahomes was, when Johnson said it in 2021. Um, so... You know, it kind of surprises me, of course, because Johnson has seen everybody play. But what is more important, I think, is what his dad says to Mahomes after the game. Let me go talk to my dad real quick. Let me go talk to my dad. I ain't never seen nothing like you. You different. <laughs> you different. I love you now, baby, man. You know I do. Can you talk about what that meant to Patrick Mahomes to hear his dad say that to him? You know, he I think he holds his dad up on a pedestal. I mean, growing up, he has told me that his dad was his hero. You know, we all sort of have our, our sports heroes growing up. His was his own father. He was watching his dad pitch in the majors. Um, so I think, you know, hearing that from his childhood hero meant a lot. And I think you can hear it in Patrick's voice, you know, as he gets emotional um, after the Super Bowl when he when his dad said that to him. Um, and I think, you know, being in being someone that was in the Mahomes suite for several playoff games, I, I think after Brittany, uh, Pat Sr. is definitely the most vocal, supportive person in, in Patrick's life in terms of his playing career. So I, I think that carried a lot of weight with Patrick. And uh, I think they have a pretty unique relationship. Certainly his dad can sympathize with some of the things he's going through, unlike other fathers, I'm sure. So, yeah, I think that meant a lot to him. And I think you can tell um, just listening to him. So throughout the series, we see Mariota really struggle to keep his place in professional football. How worried was he that he would never get another chance to play in the NFL? Marcus is very confident in his abilities. So I would say there was no point where he showed me he was worried about his ability to be a starter in the NFL. He truly believes he can still be a starter in the NFL. Um, I think he realizes why he had to take the backup role this year, but knows he's in a perfect spot backing up Jalen Hurts in Philadelphia, and he's familiar with the coaching staff there. So he said to me that he fully believes his best playing days are still ahead of him. So he's 100% confident in his abilities to be a starting quarterback in the NFL. So Peyton Manning opens this documentary by saying that there's no harder position in sports than being a quarterback in the NFL. I mean, think about it. 
As the quarterback, every single play, you're the focus. Hey, 48, where you got? You got the 48. You have to know everyone else's job just as well as your own. You got these two over there. You can't hear half the time. The weather's bad. You got 300-pound linemen trying to kill you. Win or lose, you are going to be front and center. Great job! You have to give credit when it's good. You have to take the blame when it's bad. You have to face the music when times are tough. No one really to blame but, but myself. And there's always someone waiting to take your spot. Do you agree? Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, there's only so many positions in all professional sports that sort of need to know what literally every other position on the field is doing. I mean, he needs to know what every single offensive player is doing because he's the one calling the plays. And he needs to know what every single defensive player is doing because that's where he decides to go with the ball. Um, they're the face of the franchise. They're after the game. There's only two people that are required to talk to the media, and that's the head coach and the quarterback. Uh, they get the blame when things are going bad and, and the credit for when it's going well. Uh, I can't think of a more pressure-packed situation. And not to mention, they get the snot knocked out of them every Sunday. I can't think of another you know, professional athlete that has to deal with all of those factors all at once. So each generation has a hot quarterback rivalry that defines what football kind of is at the moment. Someone like, you know, Brady, Manning or Marino and Kelly. Does this generation of quarterbacks need a rivalry like that to excite the league? I think you're starting to get one. Yeah, yeah. I would say that you know, we're pretty close to Burrow versus Mahomes being a real draw. I mean, I just saw this morning that Joe Burrow was quoted as saying, we'll see those guys in December in response to trash talk. I I think that it's funny that you say that. And it's funny that Peyton Manning is is his uh, participant in this documentary series because I think there was this idea that the golden age of quarterbacks is over once Brady retired and Peyton retired. But I have to think that people disagree with that after watching, you know, after watching Patrick, after watching Joe Burrow, Josh Allen, Justin Herbert. I mean, I think the NFL is in good hands um, rivalries are always great. People always love them. Certainly the, <laughs> the Bengals did everything in their power to fuel the rivalry this year. Um, but certainly great for the league, but doesn't need it. I don't think. What do you think? What do you think, Matt? I'm curious because Mahomes, you know, will walk up to Burrow right after, right after a game and talk about how great he is. Like say, to his he face. believes it. I, the, the thing is, like those are that's genuine with Patrick. I think yeah. he tells yeah. guys how great they are. Like in his free moments, he's watching sports. He's watching football. He's watching NFL games on Monday night and Thursday night when he's not playing. I've been around him in those situations. He is a genuine fan of these other guys. Um, hearing him talk about his peers. Like he has nothing but admiration for Joe Burrow. Like he, as much as he might have gotten angry at what the Bengals defensive players were saying before the AFC championship, he genuinely admires him. And he knows, I think he looks forward to competing with them. He wants to beat the best. That's sort of his thing. I mean, that's what makes him great. If you ask casual NFL fans who the most fascinating player is, I think a lot of them would probably say, I'd love to get inside Patrick's head. He makes all these insane plays. I mean, he's super successful. Um, he's charismatic. You know, he's in all these commercials. They'd love to see what he's like. And I think we got re- I got really fortunate. And I think we got really fortunate to sort of get an inside look and, and, and see what it's really like to spend a season with him. It's It was awesome experience in my career. Yeah, I think after watching the series, I want to hang out with Mariota's wife. I want to go into Cousins' <laughs> yeah. secret room, and I want to follow Patrick Mahomes onto the yeah, field. Yeah, it won't be boring, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs>
Tim Rumpf, Shannon Furman, and Matt Dissinger from Quarterback. Thank you for joining me on You Can't Make This Up. Thanks for having us. Thank you. A lot of fun. That's it for this week's episode. Thanks so much again to Tim Rumpf, Shannon Furman, and Matt Dissinger. For more of my takes, check out my other podcast, Crime Writers On. Each week on that show, we break down the latest in true crime documentaries, TV, films, podcasts, and pop culture. If you like You Can't Make This Up, please rate and review this show and share it with your friends. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. And make sure to follow the show to stay tuned for all new episodes. Our music is by Kelly Mack at Netflix Music Lab. You Can't Make This Up is a production of Netflix. I'm Rebecca Lavoie. Thanks so much for listening. 